Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. So on today's show, we discuss the role of CDFIs in the funding ecosystem. Community development financial institutions are financial institutions that provide credit and financial services to underserved markets and populations. Hi, and this is your show host, Zena Island. And today we talk to Harold Pettigrew, the executive director of the D.C. Metropolitan Area's leading community development financial institution, also known as CDFI, Washington Area Community Investment Fund, as also known as Waco. He, he's a native Washingtonian and is excited about serving the community he grew up in. On this show, we discuss what is a CDFI, the role CDFIs have and will play in the economic development and entrepreneurship ecosystem, and more specifically, WACOV's role in the Mid-Atlantic funding ecosystem. Harold, we're so excited to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about what CDFIs do. Can you define a CDFI and the role it plays in the ecosystem as a whole, and then we'll talk about the startup ecosystem more specifically. Sure, absolutely. And and thank you for having me, because it's always exciting to talk about the work uh, and the, the impact that we're, we're seeking to have in a region. Uh, simply put, community development financial institutions, you take the, the two elements of that, community development, so most of us are nonprofit organizations, financial institutions, we aggregate we deploy capital, specifically where it's needed in underserved neighborhoods. Underserved meaning generally people and or communities that haven't been able to access traditional capital. So that's where we play a role in making sure that people can get the capital that they need to be successful. Well, it's really important for us to include organizations like WACIF, but WACIF specifically in our discussion about the funding ecosystem, because CDFIs do get overlooked as funding options. Why do you think that is? Do you think people don't know about CDFIs or what's out there? Maybe they just don't know the term. Yeah, it's like the best kept secret, right? <laughs> you have uh, nonprofits that are, uh, one, making sure that from a mission standpoint, capital is flowing certainly where it's needed but also that there's the care and attention of the people that we're serving, right? And so uh, best kept secret, um, yes, a lot of people don't know about CDFIs. They may know our individual brands, but not necessarily about CDFIs as an industry. There's over 1,100 CDFIs across the country that are doing great work, uh, a number of them in the region as well, that are focused across the board on uh, small business like WACIF, um, but also housing to education to community facilities. Uh, you name it, there's probably a CDFI that's funding that kind of work. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a best kept secret. One thing I will say though is that what we've not done as an institution, uh, an industry rather, is really to claim what our identity is. 
I like to think that CDFIs are the original impact investors, you know? And so now as we talk about uh, the, the prevalence and growth of the impact investment space, there is this opportunity for our organizations to play an anchoring role uh, in the growth of that industry. How come CDF- CDFIs are not as well known in the impact investing space? Yeah, I think for 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 many CDFIs, and we're 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 embracing this as an opportunity for Wakef as well. One, uh, making sure that we invest in ways that are positioning us for the discussion. So it might mean greater marketing. It might mean uh, talking more uh, and promoting more the impact we're seeking to have and how our mission shows up in neighborhoods throughout the region. So, so I do have a question just around marketing. So the, it seems like the narrative has changed and is changing so that you can better reach who you want to reach. So how is that working for Awake? If What are you changing in marketing? How are you actually reaching people? Yeah, so we, we've put entrepreneurs at the center of our work. And so making sure that uh, clients that we've worked with, that we're putting them forward and their success forward, we play a small part. We're helping to bring in whether it's capital or knowledge, funding or knowledge, we're playing only a small part in the difficulty of the, the entrepreneur's journey. And so for us, it's putting forward that entrepreneur so that other entrepreneurs see what success could look like. And so we put a lot of effort into, even around our office, making sure that uh, the people we work with are what's the center of focus. Um, and so that other people can see they can do that. They can be successful. They can go down that hard path of being an entrepreneur. Well, you have talked about yourself as a mission-based nonprofit lender, right? Not the quote-unquote CDFI that maybe people don't really know about. Tell us some stories about people you've worked with and what that's looked like so that our audience can know more about that. Yeah. So for, for us, it's a relationship, you know, and it's, I always start there because it's, we're, we're, we're of course working to execute potentially a transaction, but for us, what's important is one, that it's a relationship and two, that we embrace this expanded notion of what capital is for our purposes. We know that like financial capital is the lifeblood of businesses being to oper- being able to operate. But what we found is that if we invest in the knowledge capital of the person, the people that we work with, social capital, making sure that there is opportunities for success or uh, 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 the networks necessary for them to uh, get to that next stage of business, that our financial capital will actually be more catalytic. And so we focus a bit more broadly uh, on these three areas and making sure that we're, we're invested in the, the whole relationship. It's not for us just simply, all right, once a month when you owe us a, uh, a loan payment, that's when we're interacting. But once we enter into a relationship, it's just that, a relationship. I know I would have problems if my wife only saw me once a month. Uh, it's, it's a relationship, right? <laughs> so it's a relationship that we look to establish uh, with the businesses that we work with. Sometimes that relationship starts off by us not actually providing capital, but really providing a pathway to yes. And we've had a number of business owners that have come to us um, after you know doing a couple of those things, coming to us and say, hey, I followed these steps. Uh, can we have capital now for our business, right? So I often like to use the example um, of Kendra Blackett-Dabinga. Uh, she is the owner 
uh, Bikram Yoga Works. And she's also a Hoya Saxa, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Harold. That's right, that's right. Went to George Claim, Claim. Yeah, that's right. She's awesome. and, and, and she's talked about her story, you know, publicly. And she's one that we we love to talk about because she she embodies, one, the spirit of a grinder, the spirit of an entrepreneur. But she had come to us because she had this vision, this idea of bringing greater wellness into specifically the black community, but more broadly, uh, just to, to, to be in service of people, to make uh, healthier choices more accessible. She had come to us about this idea of hot yoga. And we we're like, yeah, we think you need to do a little more work before you get that specifically from us. And she went off and followed some of the direction, which was go ahead and begin building up your client base. You don't need that to do that. You can begin in free spaces. She went and raised money, built up her client base, came back to us, and we started working with her. And now, six years later, she has multiple locations throughout the region, um, is looking at other locations. Um, I'm actually a, a, a client as well. Wow. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member. Um, it's tough. Great, I encourage great everyone. Great health though. benefits. It is great. Yeah. Absolutely great. Um, and so for me, knowing her uh, as the entrepreneur that she is and her spirit flows through that business and when you look at the amount of people she's hired the revenues that's been created the spaces that she's activated she's been a part of many different communities really throughout the region so it's those kind of stories where i often like to elevate them where we started with her and said actually no but here's your pathway to yes she followed that pathway and we continue to work with her and opening all of her new locations and helping to finance those because now it's a relationship We've also had the story of uh, Po Boy Jim. like to uh, mention them as well in the food space. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on 8th Street. Um, they had... they were just on the news. Oh, okay. Yes. I just saw them. Yeah. Because of Mardi Gras. Um, More than like, Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. New, New Orleans style food. Yes. They yes. Have, uh, I said to myself, I have to go and check them out. Black owned business. Yeah. Uh, family. Uh, came together because they have roots from New Orleans Mm -hmm. and they wanted to bring some of their family flavor into uh, a food space here in DC. As with many entrepreneurs, they went through, burned through a lot of their cash to activate a space on 8th street. Uh, They found out from another business owner uh, about wake if, and we came in, helped them to figure out some of the pathway for continuing the build out of their space. Uh, We provided them the capital for it. Uh, The first location, smashing success they went further uh, figuring out uh, where a number of their customers were coming from they found as well that there was a healthy uh, cluster of customers coming from the shaw u street area mm-hmm. they opened a second location uh knife and U. uh last year i believe they opened that location and it's been just been doing wonderfully well and so for us it's coming into wherever that entrepreneur may be on their pathway um and simply providing some of the tools to help accelerate that. Just to give our listeners some context, um, 8th Street and 9th and Shaw, uh, 9th and U Street in the Shaw area, are very, very expensive areas to open up a restaurant or even this a shop there. So that I commend them for being able to do that, and you, and, you know, and you were able to help them. Absolutely, you know, for us, it's one of the imperatives we got to deal with here in DC. And it, it does have an impact on our capital in, in a couple ways. One, it makes for more expensive businesses or uh, greater expenses to launch a business here in the city, particularly if you're on historic corridors like 8th Street, like U Street. Um, two, 
it's a greater expense line as well. And so for us working with business owners to make sure that we pressure test the idea that what their assumptions are are the right ones and that their revenues will support it more importantly because we want for folks to be successful. So it, it's it's a lens uh, in, in, by, by which we take a look at business owners to make sure, because we're it's not just those corridors. We know with this region, development has grown outside of the downtown core areas, and it's an issue that's prevalent really across all of our neighborhoods. And I, li- I like that you're sharing how they use their data to actually identify that second location. Yeah. And so in your programs, how are you helping or kind of how are you seeing data being more used more to help with those decisions, especially on the funding side? Yeah. So it, it's interesting because we're we're going through, you know, I like to think we're, you know, we're a business as well. We just have a, a tax status that says we're a nonprofit. Right. And so, uh, you know, kind of for me as an entrepreneur as well, uh, we're investing in uh uh, uh, much more data to drive how we lend, uh, where we know our impact is, and a deeper narrative into what actually impact is for us. So when we begin to slice our client base as well, understanding that we may have uh, some uptick in the servicing of female veterans or uh, 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 folks who live in Prince George's County who may have businesses in D.C., we, we've been going through some painstaking detail to invest in our infrastructure so that uh, we're more in touch with uh, what our client base is as well. No different than what we ask of from our business owners. The more you know your clients, the more you can service them and make sure that your products align with what those needs are. Uh, so something that's a, uh, a bit of an investment focus for us right now. Well, and we could receive the award as the 2019 Nonprofit Association of the Year. Yes, so congratulations! We are. Yeah, you must we're, be we're really truly on it. That. Truly on it. Do you do you have in mind what initiatives or what kinds of things might have led to that award, or what kinds of um, projects you were working on last year specifically? That- yeah, and so it's, it's it's a bit of an honor. It's an honor for the team, of course. Um, also, just for me, me personally, like coming into an organization where. Um, I had the, the, the honor of really carrying forward a brand that's really been here in the region for the last 30 years, uh, doing work across many different spaces, whether it's childcare, community facilities, uh, education. We have a land trust that we invested in at one point in time. Much of our first investments were uh, affordable housing and cooperative house, housing at that. And so when you look at this, this wonderful history, it, it, it was an easy decision uh, for me to really join the team because it was really carrying a legacy forward. And so uh, uh, I've been in the post for four years now. And one of the things that we were careful of is one, making sure that we didn't just rest in our laurels, but making sure that we began, that we understood what was taking place in the region and that we aligned our resources and investments in ways that were uh, standing in opposition to uh, many of those challenges. So one of the things that we made sure was that we know D.C. has a long history of uh, issues along race and economic opportunity. And so we made it a point to be focused on uh, inclusion and that folks had easier pathways, specifically entrepreneurs of color, women entrepreneurs, that we were very targeted in how we do our work. So in 2018, 100% of our lending was to entrepreneurs of color. 100%. Wow. 50% of that uh, was to women entrepreneurs. And so it was important for us to not only embody, embody from a practice standpoint and approach and programmatically and those sort of things, but uh, to your question earlier, Christina, the data. It should also reflect what our values are. 
And so we wanted to make sure that we laid out a new agenda of what our strategic investment pillars would be as an organization. The first was inclusive entrepreneurship, as I mentioned, the second being community wealth building. And what we mean by that is creating greater pathways to access the power of entrepreneurship. And so we launched an employee ownership program, uh, initiative rather, making sure that we're not just thinking through traditional pathways to business ownership. Of course, we support that and we will continue to. Uh, but what we also know is that there's a retiring population of business owners. And if there are opportunities for us to create a pathway for employees of those companies to acquire those companies so that we can keep those known organizations, those known companies rather, and those known brands here, we want to create a pathway for that. And so we created this employee ownership initiative uh, that was designed specifically for that purpose, to promote employee ownership, work around cooperative development, these new pathways, or not new, because it's DC has a rich history um, of employee ownership. But, and, and, and in essence, a, a, a renaissance a bit, um, because out of necessity, because of some of the uh, racist systems that were in place before to prevent black folks from going into business, there was a lot of cooperative development that was actually created or cooperative ownership that was in place many years ago. And so for us, it was a bit of a renaissance in creating new pathways to uh, entrepreneurship. The third being equitable economic development as our third pillar. Basically what that means is how we invest in place. And so for me growing up here, it would, uh, it, we would not be meeting our mission if we weren't, if we didn't put our flag in the ground and if we weren't investing east of the river in Washington, D.C., Ward 7, Ward 8 in Prince George's County and in other parts of the region where resources are needed most. So I think all of those activities, I don't think necessarily one activity, but a number of them in aggregate. Uh, and we, we work on a lot of partnerships and we make sure we're really inclusive in our work. Um, I think all of those things really went into uh, the honor last year. Oh, that, that's great. And you, you talked a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about your story and being a native Washingtonian, because I think that really speaks volumes to the work that you are doing here. And, yeah. um, but one, you talked about also having the mindset of an entrepreneur uh, leading WACEF. And so 30 years, how is WACEF sustaining your budget uh, and how do CDFIs typically get funded? Yeah, so we, I often like to say uh, we're like the, the 33-year-old startup. Uh, so <laughs> you're like we're <laughs> uh you know we we embrace uh you know traditional nonprofit funding you know of course we get a lot of grants and and support in that way um but we're also looking at uh how how we operate as a business you know i think it's important for nonprofit organizations across the board uh to think in a business sort of mindset specifically thinking through uh, social enterprise and social ventures that can be created still in support of the mission. We, we, we put at the anchor of our thinking moving forward, particularly, how do we maximize the potential of our mission? And what that also means is how do we think through value added services that we can also create uh, for the people we serve? So a first part of that is a diversification of our funding. As a CDFI, most of us provide debt. It's not in our charter or our mission that we are a debt provider. And so what we're thinking through now is how we can create products and bring in capital that meets our clients where they are versus simply having our clients meet us where the capital is. And so uh, last year, we also um, began to test out some new approaches. We created a, a convertible note to invest in the fintech. 
um, that's working with returning citizens. Uh, we've done some dabbling with our line of credit products to make sure that retailers here, because there's still a lot of opportunities in retail, that retailers can access that line of credit um, in a way that is helping them to finance their inventory so they don't have that as a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and recently, Congress approved what we are hearing is record-breaking $262 million for CDFI funds and kind of the extended new market tax credits. How is, the, how is this going to help hurt improve the CDFI industry, and what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, so I think the, the most looking forward to, I'll start there, um, is the predictability. The more we know the tools that are going to be available, uh, the better it equips us to help the communities and the people we're looking to serve. You know, and I think that's the the one thing that uh, if at a federal level, whether it's new markets, whether it's through the SBA program, Community Advantage, these different products and tools, uh, and it's not important for the clients to know all like, you know, for sure. people who may be listening or different entrepreneurs to know necessarily those tools. What's helpful for us, though, is to know that these resources are available so that we know how to uh, help the clients that we have and entrepreneurs that we're looking to serve because now we have more tools in our toolkit. And that's ultimately the, the point that, we're, that, I, that I would raise with this is that whether it is new markets uh, bank, or bond guarantee or just a CDFI fund as a whole, the availability, the availability of these tools help us to meet our mission. And I guess on, on the pathway to yes, right? So you're, yeah. you're helping entrepreneurs figure out a pathway to yes to seek funding. What is What do you think is the most commonly misunderstood part of approaching CDFIs for funding? Yeah, I think it's, you know, to me first is always a, uh, a discussion about your relationship with money, you know, and kind of getting it out of the business context, right? It's very personal because most of us do not grow up, one, talking about money, two, understanding money, and three, being comfortable with money. If personally, that's where many of us sit, then professionally, those same tendencies are going to go into the business, right? right. And so what's important that w- I often push folks to understand the financial life of your business as well, because it shouldn't be that, yeah, whether we're talking about debt service coverage ratio and those sort of things that because you know it's important to your business and you should be looking at these things as also decision points, your financial statements should be uh, strategy documents, it should help you make the right decisions for your business. So first, we often start out with just helping to making sure folks understand what they're asking for with a level of regularity. And it's almost just uh, a comical now. Uh, we get folks asking, I need $100,000. And so naturally for me, I'm like, all right, so uh, one, what do you want to use it for? Because we don't want you to take on debt that you don't need. Two, how much have you calculated how much that is? How, how it's going to impact your cash flow? Uh, do you know how long that you want? You know, and so how do they come up with this number? I mean, I they, feel like it's, it's the same it's on the nice investment round, side. Round number, number yeah, hundred thousand dollars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like anywhere it north of sixty is then you just round it up a hundred. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just kind of funny almost, right? It's um, the same when I hear people say we're raising a million or a million and a half. I'm like, okay, have you that, broken that down? That's right. What that's is right. that for? And, and the structure of the capital, exactly. right? Because that's important. You know, in terms of what your growth is, or we often have these discussions, and I, I had this discussion literally uh, uh, earlier this week with a young lady, because she, she came to me about capital, but she wasn't earning revenues yet. And so I, I asked her, you know, first, I think it's what's important for you is to understand the resources that are available, because it might be that a CDFI actually isn't the right uh, funding source at this stage of where you are. Because for many many CDFIs, we don't have patient capital products. 
we don't offer equity. Now, for many of us, including Wake Up, we are thinking through those type of capital products, but there might maybe other sources of capital that fit the business owner where they where their business is at that particular point. And so I think it's important to, to understand that CDFIs are a part of that continuum of capital, right? And that business owners need to be informed of what the ecosystem uh, actually provides. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's part of why it was really important to have you on our show for this season when yeah. we're talking about the spectrum of where business owners, where entrepreneurs can get capital and what that means yep. for folks. Because a lot of times, you know, we see entrepreneurs pitching because they think that's where the capital is. And this right. is another option for capital. And as you just pointed out, it's most important to figure out well, what do you want to do and where do you want to go and what's the right product to get you there. And anytime you're asking other people for money, whether it is an investment in, in exchange for equity or for a loan in exchange for debt, you know, there is, there's consequences. And That's so right. it's really important for people to figure out those consequences. It's, it's a lot, it, I mean, there's not as many consequences to making a sale, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. I mean, it's just, that's the best way to raise money is, you know, go yeah. sell you what you've got. That's and, right. and having a strategy, right? That's we right. talked about it as a strategy. Um, so I have one really specific question, um, mm -hmm. and this is more for our listeners. What type of entrepreneur and company, what stage should they be at to to accelerate or better get a yes from WAKEF or another CDFI? Yeah, and, that, and that, that's, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one... We don't have a specific profile of company. Mm -hmm. What's important for us is a couple of tenants. One, that if you're taking on debt, that you can responsibly repay that debt. Mm -hmm. Responsibly so repay. Minimally. <laughs> right, exactly, right. Minimally, that is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. No matter uh, the underwriting process, the industry, the stage of the business, all of those things. Because uh, I tell folks often, yeah, we fund it from startups to businesses that are in business. You think of the industry, we fund it. I, I mentioned the restaurant example earlier. So we have done restaurants before. They're very tough to do. No doubt about it. But have we done it? Absolutely. Um, and you think of the range of businesses that are here from restaurants to fitness, as I mentioned with uh, 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 Bikram Yoga Works, to contractors, of which we have a lot in our portfolio as well, is DC contracting capital uh, of the universe, really. And so when you think of the spectrum of companies, we funded all types. Um, what's important for us is ensuring that the business owner has a strategy and a pathway that the business can support the debt that they're taking on, the capital that they're taking on. I want to say debt. Um, that's the first lens of which we, we we look. Is there a particular business you would like to see that you haven't supported yet? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I, short answer, I would say is not, not quite. I think for us, what's important uh, and, and what we're building towards now is actually being able to fund more. Um, and so we're in a, a, a process now of raising more capital and uh, putting more structures in place so that we can meet much greater demand. We're, we're seeing right now, uh, uh, specifically uh, in different states, in the different counties, in the different cities, 
a, a greater need and a request for us to be present in those places. Um, and so we're, we're in the middle of planning now uh, for some capital raises to make sure that uh, across the business types that we've assisted before uh, that we're able to help. And this is whether it's folks who are doing contracting work to your more traditional brick and mortar companies uh, that span the spectrum of retail options and or food options uh, to commercial food kitchens, uh, you, you name it. We may have had some investment type already. Uh, and the goal for us right now is to scale. We've talked a lot about the the debt aspect, right? People can come to you, they can ask for a loan. But you talked about the whole relationship. So give some examples, like, because you have programs for people who maybe aren't ready to ask for a loan, but they want services from WACIF or another CDFI. What kinds of what kinds of programs do you have? So so we started Ascend uh, is really uh, not really to target businesses that were testing a concept or an idea, uh, but really businesses who or entrepreneurs who were already in business, who knew what they were doing worked, but they needed greater assistance uh, and, and help thinking through what growth would look like for them. And so we started a program in 2017, uh, also with this notion that if we have a, a, a captured audience, so to say, of entrepreneurs, it could potentially be a pipeline for us lending-wise as well. Well, and that, that, that notion was challenged very early on because we, we brought in a great group of 24 business owners. We've since scaled it down by cohort, but our first cohort was 24. What we found in meeting each of because we, we meet with each business owner, and for us, it's important to understand what they're looking to get out of a program. Like for us, we're making an investment, but for them, they're also making an investment to be with us because the time they're spending with us is time away from their business. And so what's important for us is to understand those motivations, understand objectives and goals. And one of the things that we found consistently feedback-wise in each interview that we did with those business owners uh, was that they wanted greater assurance and greater knowledge capital, as we put it. Uh, in knowing that they were making the best decisions for their company. And that stood out as a, a powerful notion that checked much of our assumptions coming into this as well. Because what we found was that a lot of the businesses we were working with, they didn't actually need capital at that point. And so we, it, it would be uh, uh, disingenuous for us to bring them into a process where we're expecting that it would be a pipeline. We have 24 loans at the end of this, where because it was a it was relationship-based, some of the business owners that came through, it wasn't until a year, a year after that they came to us for capital, which was fine. You know, and so what what Ascend allowed us to do, and we've had four cohorts since, um, or four cohorts in total, what it allowed us to do is create this framework by which we will work with business owners uh, to, to grow their companies. We take them through anywhere from eight to 12 weeks of an intensive, intensive engagement um, at the end of that, they they do a growth pitch, um, and it's not like a, 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 a pitch competition and those sort of things. It's really them taking the stage to present their idea to family, friends, and people who support them, um, and to get feedback and and exposure. And so that's been important for us to make sure one that in their own voice they can pitch where they're looking to go. And from those, we've had different partnerships, we've had different investments, uh, a lot of things that have been just positive attributes uh, from creating uh, simply this platform for folks to come together. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful because a lot of times, particularly uh, entrepreneurs of color, don't necessarily have the confidence in that's their right. vision. That's so right. Part of this is getting them to 
to to feel like they can speak on it and share it and then getting that feedback and validation absolutely that they're on the right track. absolutely um, and 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 to some of the points that we talked about earlier for for us is also removing the distance that's in place of business to business interaction we invest in people simply put we're investing in that person so that they have greater resources to grow their business we don't invest in businesses if i'm you know, kind of stripping away the articulation, right? right? And so for us, what's important is that we're establishing or creating a pathway for a relationship to be established within those entrepreneurs, a relationship with us, mm-hmm. us, of course, but also to think personally about their business. So in the beginning, getting to the points we talked about earlier, I actually teach the first class where it's uh, me challenging or probing with this question of your relationship with money. And that's where we start. Sure, that's that's, a, that's uncomfortable. People are probably that's swimming awesome. in their chairs. Absolutely, that's, that's the first day class. one. That's the first that's day class. one. That's day one. People are like, awesome. I'm not, I'm not coming back tomorrow. That's day one. <laughs> wow. And, and no, the that's end, great. And the end of it is succession planning, mm-hmm. thinking about kind of beginning with the end in mind, thinking of what you want to do with this asset. It could very well be that you want to, you know, be there for the next fifty years. That's fine. Or you want to pass it on to your friend. That's fine too. Or you want to sell or exit in the next five. Six. That's totally fine. But you need to think now, right? Because it's an asset that you're building. Even though it's your own job and it's it's an asset. And so you got to think strategically about that asset. And I think that's important, too, because, again, a lot of people have this scarcity mindset. That's right. And when you have a scarcity mindset approaching a business, you you don't think about how you can actually grow it. And that's so I'm right. sure at the end of it, it's more of an abundance mindset. And, that. and, and that's the desire to have that shift to take mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that, one, you're you're kind of in a, a, a community of support. Right. Because and you all know as entrepreneurs yourselves, right? Like. It's, it's lonely. Oh, <laughs> and that was a part of the theme too. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing you know, since 2005. It's been very long. Exactly. You know, and so that Aww, that's that's part here. of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm mean, the beginning part. That's you know, right. What I mean by 2000, I'm lonely. But in the beginning, um, what I was going to say that since this ecosystem and entrepreneurship has become so important, and they have different resources and networks in the community. I didn't have that in 2005. Right. I didn't start getting that and learning it until actually I started working for the city. I started doing some work for the city, helping to promote and get the word and message out there about what DC is doing. So no, I'm glad you guys are here. That's why we're on the show together. (laughs) Well, well, let's kind of hit on that since you are a native Washingtonian and you shared with us that when, you know, kind of in the late 90s, your high school, well, D.C. was going through bankruptcy and McKinley High School was kind of on the chopping block and indeed ended up closing. And you have always had with you this idea of how do you make a city work and specifically how do you make D.C. better? Um, So what do you think right now are great attributes about the D.C. metro area, both from an entrepreneur's perspective and an, an investor's perspective? Yeah, and that, that, that's a great question because it's th- this region is pretty unique, right? When you think about what happened in 2008, and it was tough for the economy, but when you look at what happened in the D.C. region, like we weren't as impacted as the rest of the country. So there's a level of resilience our economy has that when you think of from even from an entrepreneurship standpoint, there's still a level of continuity that takes place where business activity is still here. Now, it requires us as a capital provider it, it creates pressures on us because it, it's a harder environment to raise money and those sort of things. But business opportunities being available, uh, our economy is rather resilient uh, from that vantage point. Uh, 
the second thing about this area is that, and it's a bit of a challenge and a, an opportunity. Um, I think I'd be disingenuous in not articulating the challenge, right? Uh, we, it's a very small region in terms of the size, but when you think of uh, the jurisdictional lines, it, it's a, a major inefficiency um, uh, across the region that each entrepreneur, if you want to do business in a different jurisdiction, you have to understand that jurisdiction. You have to understand the licensing requirements and, and resources that are available. And unfortunately, the resources are often organized in that way as well. And so there's this push and pull of the difficulty of navigating, but it does also create another aspect of opportunity because once you go into Prince George's County, that's a different contracting entity. It might be painful to, you know, deal with any contracting entity, but that's another pipeline of business opportunity. Similarly with the state of Maryland, same thing with Virginia, same thing with the multi-jurisdictional utility units, if you're in the contracting space, but even if you're a retailer, because of how traffic is in this area, yeah, you can be 10 miles apart and it's a totally different consumer base. Absolutely. right. And so we, we have our challenges with how, and, and this is a little bit of the urban planner and me coming out right now. Um, we have some of uh, you know these challenges. There's an opportunity for greater coordination, greater partnership and those sort of things. Uh, but it's, it, it's balanced with this, this challenge and opportunity um, that I do think we have in a region. And there's an opportunity as well, uh, just thinking from an investor standpoint, to think through greater ways uh, to have capital flowing into our communities and using traditional uh, institutions that can actually be pathways for that. Like the way we approach raising capital and things is, you know, it's a partnership. Someone wants to get capital out, we can get that capital out. And so whether it's philanthropy, whether it's an investor, whatever it might be. And so I often uh, put that forward as an opportunity specifically for the investment community. Um, to, to think through CDFIs as an option for capital deployment, as an option for impact investment, because minimally, you know that you know, our, our shareholder value is our mission, you know, if I had to articulate it that, that way, right? So what you're investing in is a mission that you know you're going to uh, achieve when you're investing in uh, CDFIs or our type of organizations. Absolutely. And actually, speaking of partnerships, my, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I didn't say it. He, Harold, you said it three times before I actually said it. I had to wait four right. times. So, um, so you actually did partner with J.P. Morgan Chase, Clark Foundation, and Capital Impact Partners, which they're in Virginia, on the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund for D.C. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, and this, this was a really a catalytic investment for us. Um, but a one, again, that was very mission aligned. As I mentioned to you before, uh, 2018, 100% of our lending was to Entrepreneurs of Color. And so what it helped us do was just continue to accelerate our lending specifically to entrepreneurs of color. Um, the, the, the structure allowed us to build our balance sheet more so we can raise more capital. Um, the great thing about it was that it was a bit of a dynamic partnership where we did uh, what, what we uh, uh, have done, but more of uh, small business lending. Capital Impact Partners actually introduced uh, to this region an approach that they took in Detroit. Uh, which was their uh, equitable development initiative where they focus on developers of color. And so we're working now uh, to figure out partnership wise with them, how we can work with those developers. Capital Impact is working with them on how to uh, uh, deepen our knowledge about projects. We're gonna work with those developers on the business. 
And so it's such a great partnership and it really was the anchor for uh, that type of approach because what we know as well, and we kind of talked about it, the, 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 you think of the last 20 years in DC, the development pipeline oh has continued gosh. to flourish. It's changed our neighborhoods. It's caused a lot like the revitalization of our neighborhoods, yes, but also affordability and the ability to thrive in place. And when you, you look at uh, truly a thriving economy, right? You wanna make sure that people who have been there can stay there. Can afford to stay here. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that Capital Impact saw was with Detroit, mm-hmm. with, with the, 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 the rebuilding that's taking place there, was that you got an 80% population uh, that's African-American, but the people who were rebuilding the city weren't African-American. They were not. And so they launched into uh, the Developers of Color Initiative and brought that approach after taking time to understand DC and work with folks to partner, uh, to bring that approach here. So we're looking forward to partnering with them and building on uh, the original uh, investment that took place with the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund uh, to go into that next stage of partnership. Do you, and I'm not going to get too much into Detroit, but do you see other cities like Detroit trying to follow in those same you know, footsteps you know, to try to help more I'm going to say black developers and, and people of color who are in development um, to have those opportunities. Yeah, uh, I think so. Okay. Think this is where that's, you, that's a bit, that's what's a, what's the big fight that's going on right now that's in, right. in these cities. That's right. So I think overall you have efforts. Uh, I can think of uh, North Carolina. There's some efforts in Texas Okay. Um, and right up the road in Baltimore. You know, and so uh, from an economic standpoint, you have a little bit of a closer proximity of Baltimore and Detroit mm-hmm. um, in terms of the effort to rebuild and uh, bring uh, investment into those economies. Right. Um, but there's a, there's recognition uh, just across the country now where we have to get beyond. And, and I think this is where we begin to maximize what economic opportunity truly is, that we begin to think through some of these individual pathways uh, where we need to be intentional about how we invest in black and brown people. And I think from the development standpoint of things, particularly for a city like D.C., where you've had, again, like 20 years of and, and we have projected five to 10 more minimally uh, of continued development activity that we need to be intentional about having folks at the table. Right. And I think that's what you have happening here and in some of these other places. And, and I just wanted to point out, too, since the CDFI world is um, the color hue is a little bit different, that Ellis Carr is African-American yep. male and yourself. So leading this effort, it's really good to know that you both have experience in the community and look and rep- look and represent the people in the community as well. No, and thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we wouldn't be get found get funded if we were afraid to take on these issues because mm-hmm. I think we really want to talk about kind of the flow of money and how it is absolutely absolutely influenced by color and and gender and race and ethnicity where we come from and all sorts of different things. And I think WAKIF has worked really hard, like you've been talking about throughout the show, on making sure that you're putting money in places that need it to change what the economy looks like overall. Um, you said, you know, overall that you're funding 80% people of color, entrepreneurs of color. One year it was 100%, um, 50-50 men and women. You said with advisory services, it's about 65% women, which mm-hmm. is great. That's right. It's, you know, that's telling me that women are asking for help, looking for support in their um, growing their businesses. And we know at the top of the spectrum, right, which is what we see in the investment world as well, 
that there's some differences, right? So women don't necessarily feel as represented on boards of CDFIs. And if we look at people who are leading CDFIs, if you're a white executive director, you're tending to have double the amount of lending capacity as a person of color executive director. And tell us what you think that's about. And you were telling us earlier that there's some initiatives to work on that, which is really great. People are looking at that hard and recognizing that there is a distinction and that it needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And I, I think it's important to note that uh, African-American-led CDFIs often face the same challenges that black business owners face mm-hmm. as well, yeah. right? And so, and African-Americans who are raising money for funds also experience absolutely. that. Absolutely. Right. Fund managers, mm-hmm. you, you look across the spectrum, whether it's private equity, yep. the absolutely. issue is the yeah. same. Okay. And VCs and family offices and absolutely all sorts of things right. that we're talking about, particularly right. this season, the higher up you get, right? We're talking about starting equity to accessibility, but it, you know, it, it needs to funnel up. Absolutely. And, and actually, Darren Dodson, before you jump into that, uh, from Enluman Capital just did a study that the more successful you are as an asset manager and the harder it is for you to actually raise funds. That's right. Which is actually, you know, you think really about it, it doesn't make any sense. But right. and, and I'm sure one of the tenants that are there, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if you look at... There, just to speak about the initiative for a moment, uh, there's a number of us that have come together in recognition that this is a challenge, but that also there needs to be formal structures in place yeah. so that we can not only support each other, but also there can be a challenge, cha- channeling of resources to be in support. Because what we know as well, similar to, to entrepreneurs of color, specifically black businesses, you look here in D.C., black businesses hire black people. Like right. The, the equation is simple when we're talking about uh, how do we revitalize our communities, right? Similarly, there tends to be, <laughs> when there is black leadership, more investments, greater investments in those communities as well. And so you, know, you look at our story for WACF as well. Yeah, we've always been present in the region, but a specific focus, Ward 7 and 8, has been important. I live in Ward 7. And so it'll be counterintuitive, and maybe there's some self-interest there, right, to invest uh, in Ward 7. It'd be counterintuitive if we didn't. It just doesn't make sense. And Ward 7, for our listeners, is still majority black That's right. right now in comparison to the, comparison to the uh, rest of the city. Absolutely right. Yeah. And 7 I, and 80. I, and I correct? should keep in mind the, the national listener base here of what you guys have established <laughs> as well. Like, I will keep that in mind. Um, but- so there's a group of, of African-American-led CDFIs uh, that have come together uh, to begin laying the foundation uh, uh, for standing up an effort to, to focus on this. And it's still early on, so I don't want to get too down, too far down the path. But when you begin to unpack the issue at hand, when you think about even from an entrepreneurship standpoint, what we're talking about is access to networks. Right. That once you begin getting, whether it's an asset manager or a CDFI, there's certain relationships that we just don't have. And even in all the progress that has taken place, it's one thing if you're uh, a white person and you've grown up in a neighborhood where your peers or people within your family have also ascended to different positions. There's certain equity that's there that's focused on your your social network that we haven't quite achieved, you know. And so there is a need to be intentional still in this way. Because what we found also is that, yeah, there is performance that's there. So we actually approach conversations often where, no, don't address it from a social uh, uh, standpoint. 
yeah, you should just because of the history of this country. But let's look at performance. Let's look at how our black businesses have performed. We, we even got to one point where we were looking at performance of our loans of businesses that are in Ward 7 and 8, and they were exceeding the performance of businesses that were not 7 and 8. You know, and so it's not just from a CDFI standpoint or from uh, asset managers. This is happening in the private equity space as well, uh, where folks are looking to simply access pension funds like yeah. white uh, 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 fund managers have access to. Right. Yes. Like it's across mm-hmm. the spectrum of financial that is services. Very true. You know, so I, I don't think it's any different uh, for many of us running CDFIs, particularly even the ones that have a lot more zeros on their balance sheet than what Wake does still facing that same challenge. To me, there's a, a, a consistency there that's not a reflection of performance or capability, but some of the structural issues, whether racist, uh, uh, the legacy of racism that was that's in our systems, or uh, which also has an impact, simply the development of the social networks that allow for doors to be opened a lot easier. What is a current project you or your organization is working on that you think more people should know about? Yeah, the, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Ascend. We are going to have, uh, we are going to open up new cohorts uh, coming soon. And you, do you want to talk a little bit about Ascend? I know you mentioned you it a couple of times earlier. Okay. Did he mention it? Okay. Yeah, the, the framework for it, yeah. And okay. It, uh, what, I, what I will say is what where we are going um, is a couple areas that uh, is important for us. One, uh, that we're uh, going to be targeting our services in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're getting some aggregation of concern from food entrepreneurs and concern from retailers. And uh, for us, what the next stage looks like uh, is to begin uh, developing products, programs that are specific to uh, industry and or clustering of business owners um, that we could be a bit more targeted. And this is also looking at diversity of funds um, as we we're a fund manager we're not just simply a fund right and so we've embraced a bit of that identity as well um, much of the underpinning of that will be uh, us raising more and different types of capital um, and so that's an area that so this year for us is going to be uh, a big from an investment standpoint and so much of what we've laid the foundation for um, is a lot of that growth and not growth for growth's sake but, but what we're seeing in terms of need and pipeline on the capital side of things is the desire to have greater tools, products uh, that are available um, in our communities. Great. Now, if you could wave a magic wand, what's the one thing you would change in the startup world? Ooh. Um, so one, I think that there is a need to uh, have what is considered startup to be more accessible. So I do think our, our industry kind of falls into um, these lines that are, are that are unintentionally drawn, right? So some of the business owners we work with, they don't see themselves as an entrepreneur. So we use the articulation of entrepreneur and we're right because- It's a mindset. And, and it's by definition, <laughs> they're an entrepreneur right the asset is the business right they are owner of the asset therefore they're a business owner but when you think of articulation of entrepreneur and startup and a lot of those they have different implications that i think is a starting point often can be a barrier uh, for folks to, to access because they don't see themselves in a given space dc has a lot of energy around uh, tech and has for a long time 
I think many of the resources, tools, and ecosystem could lend itself to the broader uh, uh, small business community that's here. Um, and I think that's that's one aspect of startup that I think both communities, tech and non-tech, could benefit from. But there's almost these two distinctly separate, almost, communities that are here um, that I think could benefit from each other. Business planning is business planning, right? And I think no matter the type of business you're looking to start, understanding what resources and tools are available to you based on whatever your goals are, whether you're coming to entrepreneurship as a necessity or because you have an idea, whether it's because you have an idea that you think you're going to sell or exit from in a couple of years, that's not uh, specific to tech. No, it's not. Or something that you want to operate for the next 50 years, that's not specific to a mom and pop either. You know, and so I think there, there, there's unfortunately this, um, these uh, uh, unspoken sort of barriers to entrepreneurs accessing the fullness of what the ecosystem could represent. And and I think the reason, because I was here at the ground level when that started, mm-hmm. um, I think they focused so much on the tech community. That's right. And they didn't look outside of tech. And it's nothing wrong with that it's just the fact that they didn't become broad enough Mm -hmm. and and i and i don't know why they had such a hard focus on it and i noticed more and more over the years we're trying to include be more inclusive yeah so some of this was sparked by the city i mean it was sparked by the city i mean uh, i mean we're we're gonna be honest during that time period yeah Yeah, it was it was sparked by the city that's right and so when you but when you think about a healthy uh city with healthy communities, there has to be an embracing. And I often say this too, right? That we often push growth onto business owners where it might be that folks don't want to necessarily grow. If you operate a business along a corridor, that might you might be just fine with that. And that is cool. It's not for anyone else to determine That's externally right. like what the pathway of that business should be. You know, and so having a, a more organized ecosystem having pathways where people, I literally was having a conversation uh, 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 this morning, actually, and the business owners I was meeting with, they were saying that they, they didn't know that they could access certain services or programs and organizations. I believe that. Yeah. You I know, and, and, and particularly for black and brown entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. particularly for women entrepreneurs, that is even more important that they feel they have access to resources, right? So that's why I often push a lot. Like we can get to the capital discussion and we can talk about, all right, so here's the things you need to look for from an underwriting standpoint. Like that's the conversation we could have. But to me is one, being knowledgeable about what's available to you. It's kind of the first battle. Like once you figure that piece out and and whether it is startup resources or not, um, or if you see yourself in that sort of articulation or not, knowing what's here and how it goes into your toolkit as you're making decisions about your business, like that, that is so important that I can't underscore enough of. I agree. And I think that's the reason why the three of us, I mean, this is more than just a podcast. Each one of us go mm-hmm. out in the community and we have our own different set of, you know, reasons why we're helping entrepreneurs. Absolutely. You know, Christina's doing more of the investments and you know, Aurelia's out there helping with marketing and um, myself with PR. And that's why we're trying to bring these groups together so they can understand what is available. Well, and that's why your work is so important, even having this podcast, right? Because it's 
also getting to people in different ways that they hear information or access information. And if we're not talking about these topics or having frank discussions about these topics or trying to, I always put it as how do you demystify the, the ecosystem, right? To make sure that it's accessible to people. Even like I often talk about like the term CDFI, like we often don't use that, but I think it's important for this context so that people understand a part of the ecosystem that we're organized under, right? Or you may go to another city or look to expand in another city. And yeah, you wanna figure out like what's that wake up like organization in Chicago or Philadelphia or New York. And it's important to understand that. The knowledge elements of what is in the, uh, what needs to be done can't be underscored enough. And I think you all have a, a very important voice in helping folks to understand. So thank you for doing this as well. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited to have you.